Sansuk, Chapter 3, read by Sexy Smeagol Uwu, also known as the Dwelves of Glothlorien, pseudonym for Flower Parish. The days passed slowly. Two dwarves who had died during the Battle of Five Armies, as they were now calling it, bowed to Thorin upon meeting him, and at least another six punched him square in the face. His grandfather patted his shoulder consolingly. You should have seen this place after Azanulbazar, was all he said. He was shown to a work area in the smithies, and though the metals were the finest and purest he had ever worked with, he did not have much heart for craft. Mithril and silver made him melancholy, and the sight of gold filled him with a self-loathing so great he could taste it in his mouth. Only copper, steel, or iron would he shape. Occasionally, Thrain would work beside him, though they spoke but little. Freren did not come to the forge. His brother evidently sensed that Thorin needed time after what they had seen, and left him to his own devices. When he was not in the smithy, Thorin spent time with his mother and nephews. Feely and Keely made him smile again, though it was strained. His mother comforted him as no other could, her fingers busy on her harp as she played old, peaceful songs from his childhood, untouched by any sorrow. Eventually, however, Thorin could put it off no longer, and he made his way back to the chamber of Sansukul to dive back amongst the drowned stars. He went to his sister first. Dees still wept. He could not reach her through her mourning. He sat with her for long hours, watching her thin gray face grow ever thinner and grayer, and pleaded with her to eat. She did not. He left, his heart heavy. In Erebor, there was a funeral. Thorin watched as they laid the Arkenstone on his cold, dead breast, wrapped his parchment white and stiffened fingers around the hilt of Orchrist, and sealed his body and those of his nephews in the tomb. Bilbo cried bitterly the whole time. As the white stone passed over Feely's rent and rigid corpse, Thorin covered his mouth with his hands, pressing them so fiercely against his bloodless lips that he could feel the shape of his teeth beneath. With a savage curse, he closed his eyes and fled that sight. He opened them again to see a tavern in the halls of Arid Luin. There, unhappy and bemused, he watched his fiery young cousin get roaring drunk. Gimli sang and danced, drank and laughed, and sat slumped behind his tankard with his head in his hands. At one point, he sent a powerful blow straight into the teeth of another Duero for some slate made against his father's company. The two eventually went staggering home arm in arm, singing a body marching song that the lad really should not know at his age. Compared to the hollow, wretched desolation of Erebor, Gimli seemed to burst with life, filled with youthful vigor and strength. His energy was contagious, and Thorin emerged from the starlit waters, feeling somewhat lighter. He returned to the forge and bent to his work with a renewed will. He finished a sword. It was his finest effort. Then he steeled his heart and plunged it into the pool again. Dees did not weep any longer. She sat still as stone on the chair of Arid Luin, approaching baggage train after baggage train and convoy after convoy that left for Erebor. She did not sense him. Her eyes were like chips of ice in her face. Thorin begged her to hear him, but she was as unreachable as the moon. Work was proceeding apace on the mountain. Everywhere he looked, Thorin could see the devastation caused by the dragon and the echoes of his folly. 
Even as the kingdom slowly began to rise from mourning, Thorin could barely look at his lively companions without seeing the light of the gold sickness that had once danced in their eyes. No one had been as thoroughly lost as Thorin himself, of course, but he had dragged them all behind him into his madness nevertheless. To see the guilt and grief in their faces made his own grow until it felt like a stone chained around his neck. Biffer lived. Under Bofer and Bilbo's steady care, he slowly began to improve. The scar on his forehead was a hideous thing, a great dent inches deep. He did not speak at all, and even English mech escaped him at times. Now and then he would pause mid-motion, and the frustration in his face bordered on fury. Bomber would carry a limp for the rest of his life. He seemed resigned to it, and bent himself to the task of carving a great walking staff. It had many cunningly concealed compartments, in which he kept spices, forks, sweets, and biscuits. Ori was out of his sickbed as soon as Oin gave him permission, though a racking cough continued to plague him. He immediately began to help Nori with relearning to walk. The former thief was sullen as he clattered about their rooms. With each of his arms looped over the shoulders of his brothers, he winced and cursed with every rattling step, until finally he roared with anger and resentment. Ori stood his ground. All his shyness and uncertainty burned away in the fires of battle. He faced his brother's rage calmly until Nori had exhausted himself, and then helped him back to his chair. Dori made pot of tea after pot of tea, lips white and stiff, before carefully plating the drained and silent Nori's red-brown hair back into its elaborate braids. Then the brothers Ri held on to Nori's hands tightly until he felt able to cry. Dane quickly appointed Gloin, Oin, Balin, and Dwalin to posts of power. Balin was the seneschal and first advisor, Gloin the treasurer, Oin became a counselor, and Dwalin gained command of the army, such as it was in its reduced and pitiful state. There was some grumbling from the folk of the Iron Hills, but Dane pinned them with his gimlet stare until they were silent. When Balin's beard had nearly grown back, his company said farewell to their burglar. Bilbo was grave and his face was drawn as he embraced them all in turn and told them to call on him if they were ever near the Shire. He smiled wanly. Tea is at four o'clock, but any of you are welcome at any time. Oin patted the little fellow's head, and Dory pressed a bundle of embroidered and folded linens into Bilbo's hands. What's this? he said, and opened one before letting out a laugh. Pocket handkerchiefs. Well, you never know, Ori said, and ducked his head, coughing. There was a vivid red scar running along the side of his soft young face. Travel safely, Balin said, before pulling the young hobbit into another tight embrace. You are always one of us, Bilbo Baggins. Kazad Bael, dwarf friend, be you well. Bilbo's chin trembled, and he clutched at Balin's coat with shaking fingers. I wish he said in a tiny little voice. I know, laddie, Balin murmured. We all do. With a sigh, Bilbo pushed himself away and straightened his little jacket and sword belt. Thorin's fingers drifted over the hobbit's features, and he wished too. Oh, how he wished. Bofur chucked him under his chin, and then took his ragged hat and dropped it onto Bilbo's curly head. Here, he said. Keep a hold of that for me. I'll be around to collect it one of these days. Bilbo gave him a watery smile and fingered the brim. I'll do that. Hobbit, said Dwalin, and cleared his throat loudly. Not sure if anyone said this to you at all. Then he bowed before the astonished Hobbit and said, with all sincerity, Thank you. Aye, thank you, laddie. We can never thank you enough. The rest of the company also bowed low. Bilbo looked upset and flustered. No, you mustn't, he said, and he wrung his little hands. No, please, my friends. Balin rose and winked at Bilbo. Kazad Bell. Oh, for goodness sake, Bilbo snapped, and mopped at his eyes with one of his new handkerchiefs. Dwarves, overdramatic the lot of you. Oh, I am going to miss you all dreadfully. Bilbo, Gandalf said gently, 
Time to be off. He turned his head to look out over the deep purple expanse of Mirkwood and the spires of the Misty Mountains in the distance. Here, he said softly, and back again. Then he turned back to the remainder of Thorin's company and wagged his finger at them. Wish I'd never met you, he said, and gave a sad little chuckle. You've been a thoroughly terrible influence. What will they make of me back home? Who will I be now? You're our burglar, said Dwalin gruffly, and several others chorused their agreement. Any of them give you trouble, you send me a raven. I'll sort them out. Where will I find a trained raven in the Shire? Bilbo snorted. Besides, I rather think I can handle it myself nowadays, but thank you for your offer. I'll be through in a year or two, Gloin promised. I'll be traveling back to Arid Luin to collect my family. Bomber too. We'll stop by. Don't forget. With a leg up from Dory, Bilbo crawled astride his pony. I'll lock my dishes up specially, he laughed. Farewell, my friends. Write as often as you can. Get going, lad, or we'll be out here all day, muttered Nori, and his face was thunderously unhappy. Yes, quite, Bilbo mumbled, and he fidgeted for a moment with his reins. Nasty business, this traveling. Yes, best to get it over and done with. Kill a goblin or two for me, said Bomber. Oh, but don't get too close. Aye, and watch out for trolls, and giants, and rivers, and spiders, and elves. Send me a copy of that herb lore book if you would be so kind. That was Oin. And the recipe for fruitcake you mentioned, Bomber added. Oh, and if you please, anything you have on the history of hobbits and the Shire. And that was definitely Ori. Goodbye. And with that, Bilbo turned his pony, he was still a rather atrocious rider, and began to trot away, the wizard and the bear man keeping pace. Thorin took a last look at their brave little burglar to whom he owed so much. Farewell, Bilbo Baggins, respectable gentle hobbit of Bag End, he said, half to himself. Farewell, wise and kindly child of the West. He drank in the sight of the curly head, the bold bare little chin, the small leaf-like ears, the shrewd eyes and sharp tongue, clever hands and large furry feet. I am sorry, he added, his voice nearly a whisper. Bilbo abruptly stopped and faced the mountain, and his eyes were bright with unshed tears. Farewell, Thorin Oakenshield, he said, his face lifting. And Feely and Keeley, may your memory never fade. Thorin jerked back as those struck, and then closed his eyes hurriedly. When he blinked awake in the chamber of Sansukul, he staggered through the pearl-studded arch and back to the dark, warm closeness of his chamber— where he would sit with his hands and eyes clenched for hours. Uncle? Feely, Thorin said, and put aside the knife he was detailing, a match for the sword. The pommel was giving him trouble. What is it? Feely nervously tugged at a mustache braid. Frerin told me something. Thorin sighed. Do I need to hit him? Feely scowled. Very hard. Repeatedly. Frerin and his nephews were having a disagreement. Frerin had tried to convince Feely and Keely to call him uncle as they sometimes did Thorin, but they constantly forgot. As Keely had complained, I can't call a Duero thirty years younger than me uncle. It just feels wrong. Frerin would not desist, however, and his nephews were treated to all the delights of his younger brother's most annoying habit— nagging. Needless to say, they were quickly growing irritated. Thorin had a wager running with Groin that Keeley would land the first blow. Really? Thorin fixed Feely with a stern look that he knew well, and the younger dwarf shuffled his feet. Well, possibly. Is he always this annoying? Worse than Keeley at twenty-five? Thorin offered, and Feely shuddered. That can't be possible. All that aside, what did he tell you? Thorin wiped off his hands and then leaned against the workbench. He said... Feely hesitated, and then burst. He said you can talk to them, that sometimes they hear you, in the sleeping thoughts beneath the waking ones. Thorin froze, 
and then put down the cloth slowly. Yes, he said. Yes, Mahal granted me a boon. Why you? Feely cried. Why you and not me or Keely? Crossing to his nephew, Thorin took his shoulders. Feely clutched at him, and Thorin could feel him trembling. Is this about your Ahmad? Thorin asked quietly. She cries and cries, Feely said, his voice tense and dark. When she isn't crying, she is nothing but a shell, a statue. She is so very alone, Thorin, and I hate it. I do too. Thorin tucked Feely's head beneath his chin. I have tried, nephew. She heard me a little at first, in the freshest storm of her grief. Now she is stone, and hears nothing but her own loneliness. Does nothing help, Feely said, sounding very small. Thorin stroked Feely's yellow hair. Nothing that I have found. Why did Mahal give you this gift, Feely said, a gift that doesn't even work? I think perhaps it is because I shouted at him, Thorin said thoughtfully, and a short bark of laughter escaped Feely. You yelled at our maker, he said, and shook his head against Thorin's shoulder. You're unbelievable sometimes. A wry smile pulled at his lips. So I've been reliably told. Anyway, I shouted at him, and he said that for the injustice of our deaths and the love he bore me, he would give me a way to reach them to make my amends. It is uncertain and inconstant, but he cannot pierce the walls of death further. Some hear me better than others. I believe it is because they know themselves well and are at peace with their own hearts. Hmm, Feely said, and pulled back to frown up at his uncle. Who hears you? Dane does, now and then, occasionally Balin, Dory, and Gloin as well, and Dwalin quite frequently, and Gimli most of all. Gimli? Feely's mouth dropped open. Our little cousin Gimli? He's not so little anymore, Thorin said, raising his eyebrows. The lad has more beard than Bofur, is broader than Nori, and is most certainly taller than you, though not as tall as Keely. I judge he's over four foot six and has further still to grow. I know, I know, but he'll always be little Gimli with a terrible temper to me, Feely said, shaking his head. Gimli hears you. Well, that is a shock. Then Feely's eyes lit up. Oh. I know that look, Thorin said suspiciously. That is not a reassuring look. Gimli is still an Arid Lewin, yes? Feely grabbed at Thorin's tunic in his excitement. Where Mum is, you could get him to comfort her. They're cousins, he knew us, and she wouldn't be so alone. I'm sure it would help. Oh, talk to him. Please, please try. I will not get him to do anything, Thorin snapped and shook Feely off. I am done with leadership and command, Feely. I have proven to be unworthy of it. Besides, I would not influence the lad to do anything that he would not normally do. That would be the basest form of coercion, and such things are a great evil. Gimli would help her if he knew, Feely pleaded. He was practically trembling with desperation, and his breath was coming quite fast. I'm dead. You're dead. Key's dead. We're all dead. I can't be there for her, and neither can you, but someone has to. Gimli is there, and as distant as the connection is, he is still a Durin, still family, the only family she has left in Arid Lewin. He was our friend. He called her aunt. They're both alone, and you could fix that. Remind him of her, that's all. He'll do the rest, I know he will. Help her. Help them. Just, just try. If not for me, then for Mum. Please? Their eyes met. Thorin dropped his head. For the love I bear you, and the woe the shadow wrought in you, he murmured, and sighed deeply. Of course he would do as Feely asked. He owed the lad everything and more, after all that he had stolen from him. You'll do it, Feely leaned forward, hope shining in his face. Thorin rubbed at his face with nerveless fingers. Yes, he said, and then he reached out and gently tucked one of Feely's braids behind his ear. Yes, I'll try, for you and your brother, and for Dees. Feely whooped and raced to the door, his boots ringing against the stone. 
I'll get key. Don't go into the starlight without us. We're coming too. Thorin watched him go with a sinking feeling and wondered what exactly he had let himself in for now. Feely returned in only minutes, Keely skittering behind him. Their faces were alight with hope, and Keely immediately blurted, Is it true? They can hear you. Thorin ran a hand through his hair. It's true, but... Keely let out a hoot of joy and punched the air in triumph. But, Thorin repeated, they cannot hear my words directly. The mists that divide Arda from Amon cannot be so easily pierced. They only hear me in their subconscious mind, and even then, many do not perceive me at all. But some do, Keeley said. Some, Thorin agreed, his expression guarded. Gimli hears him, Feely interrupted breathlessly, and Gimli is an arid Lewin. What are we waiting for? Keeley let out another delighted whoop and grabbed Thorin's wrist. Let's go, let's go, let's go! Thorin pulled backwards, his greater weight keeping him immobile against Keeley's enthusiastic towing. My forge... We'll still be here when we come back, Feely said, with a lilt of impatience. The fires are not lit, and the knife doesn't have legs. You promised, Thorin. Thorin debated with himself the wisdom of pointing out that, really, he hadn't promised, and then decided against it. He allowed himself to be dragged to the chamber of Sansukul. Keely was biting his lips in excitement as he stared at the waters of Gimlin Zaram, and Feely's face was pale but earnest. With another sigh, Thorin took their hands and allowed the starlight to claim him. When the light faded, they were looking at Dees. Keeley's breath caught, and Feely's mouth tightened, but neither spoke. Nor did they have to. Dees's back was stiff, and her hands were still and white-knuckled, as she sat motionless behind her jeweler's table. No gems or broken pieces lay before her and she was staring at the rolls of felt that contained her tools with unfocused eyes. She just sits there, Thorin said dully. Sits and sits. Feely squeezed his hand. Let's find Gimli, Keeley said, his voice unusually grim, and Thorin closed his eyes, willing the sight of his lost and shattered sister to vanish. Opening them, he found that he was looking at the young dwarf in question. He frowned slightly, He'd never been able to direct the waters of Gimlin Zaram to show him particular dwarves before, and he glanced over at Keeley, who looked equally perplexed. Maybe it's because there are three of us and we all wanted to see the same Dwero, he suggested. Feely shrugged. Perhaps. Gimli was in the middle of a practice duel. His opponent was an older dwarf of approximately Balin's age, whom Thorin vaguely recognized. Clever lad, the older dwarf puffed but the old man here has a few tricks up his sleeve that you might not have seen. I look forward to them, Gimli retorted, and his axe blurred around him. He was truly skilled, the axe moving in the tight, whirling arcs that required coordination, finesse, and extreme muscular strength. Good, his opponent praised, when Gimli blocked a savage underhanded swing and reversed it, immediately leaping to the attack. But do you know this one? and his hands moved rapidly, the axe spinning for Gimli's neck. Ah, Nolly, Gimli growled, and brought the handle of his own weapon up before his face. The clash was deafening. You will have to do better than that. Dwalin would have had me defeated and mopping out the barracks by now. Not enough of a challenge, Nidoy. Nolly raised an eyebrow and laughed. Then he whistled sharply to the other students waiting on the benches that circled the training ring. Lonnie, come here. Let the both of us together teach our fine young warrior a lesson. Gimli stepped back, eyes wary as he hefted his axe. Another young dwarf stood and moved onto the practice ring. He was heavier than their young kinsman, with a shock of thick brown hair on his head and a square-cut beard. He grinned. This time I will finally beat you, Gloin son, he said. Aye, and rivers will run backward and elves will live underground, and dwarves will roost in trees, Lane son, Gimli retorted, rather rudely. Feely and Keely immediately broke out into snickers, and Thorin smiled despite himself. I see what you mean about his temper, he murmured to Feely, who flashed him a quick smile. That idiot isn't going to beat him, Keely said, before peering back at Thorin. Is he? Thorin considered. 
Gimli was the better axeman, but Nolly was more experienced, and the other youngster, Lonnie, had weight and reach on his side. I don't know. Let us see how he fares. Keely needn't have worried. Gimli scythed the axe towards their feet, and they were forced to jump awkwardly to avoid it. Nolly stumbled, and Gimli was on him in a second, tapping the flat of the blade against his teacher's head. Dead, he said cheerfully. Aye, but so are you, Lonnie growled behind him, and Feely let out an involuntary cry as Lonnie's axe came spinning towards Gimli's head. The red-headed dwarf ducked and twirled, and his axe fairly danced as he slammed the butt directly into Lonnie's belly, forcing all the air from his lungs. Yield, Gimli demanded, his blade held to Lonnie's throat. Lonnie nodded, his face sullen. That was well fought, Thorin said, as Gimli leaned his axe against a weapons rack. Then he walked over to a table where cloths were folded for the students, and bread and ale sat waiting for Nolly. There he took up a towel and began to wipe down his sweaty face. Very well fought. Freren was not wrong about his talent. I wonder how he does with a sword, Feely said, tilting his head speculatively. I wish I'd look out! For Lonnie had pushed himself from the ground and launched himself towards Gimli's back, his axe held above his head to deliver a mighty stroke. Sadun, Thorin roared, forgetting himself in his outrage. Shakith! Gimli moved instantaneously. He picked up a cup of ale and span, throwing it full in Lonnie's face. As the other boys sputtered, Gimli lashed out with his fist and caught him square on the nose. Ikus, Nolly snarled, and Gimli froze, his hand drawn back for another blow. Gimli, Lonnie, what is the meaning of this? Lonnie, clutching his bloody nose, muttered, I wanted to finish the duel. The duel was finished. Nolly stamped over and pulled at the young dwarf's ear. You yielded the match to Gimli, and so lost the contest. To attack an unarmed Duero with his back turned is a coward's move, and I have taught you better than that. Lane will be hearing of this, mark my words. Lonnie winced. Gimli folded his arms. And me? Nolly glared at him. You could have disarmed him easily, and yet you chose to strike him. A just warrior does not toy with a weaker opponent simply to enjoy it. Neither does he indulge in petty revenge. Gimli's scowl was ferocious. Gimli, you will clean this mess you have made. Lonnie? And Nolly shook the ear pinched between his fingers. You will be on a week of night watches, and I will see all of you at dawn. A groan rose from the assembled ranks of students. The rest of you have these two to thank for our early start. Let that teach you to think before behaving so rashly in the future. Am I understood? Both lads hung their heads. Yes, Nolly. Then go to it, Nolly said, and released Lonnie's ear to stalk out of the door. At sunrise, remember. The assembled youngsters moved out after him, and several dark glares were aimed at Gimli and Lonnie as they left. Gimli glared back before turning to his opponent, who still clutched his bloody nose. All right, sorry, he said ungraciously, and picked up another cloth. Here. No, don't tilt your head back. You'll swallow your own blood and it will make you ill. Lean forward. It will clot eventually. What in Mahal's name were you doing? Wanted to win for once, Lonnie grumbled, but he let Gimli press the cloth to his face. I have some skill, but no one can see it in the shadow of yours. You're an idiot, said Gimli bluntly. You're good, yes, but still an idiot. You're bigger than me, and you could have had me if you'd kept at a distance. Look, why don't we practice together? I could use a taller opponent anyway. I want to surprise Dwalin when I see him next. Lonnie laughed sourly. I am no Dwalin. You'll be as tall as him, so I don't see why not, Gimli said, and shook his head. Idiot. Yes, I'm aware, Lonnie growled. I don't need you to keep pointing it out. Hold that to your nose, I have to clean up all this ale. Gimli eyed the mess and grabbed another cloth before hunkering down on his knees and beginning to soak up the spilled ale. I'm not going to apologize for being good, he said as he scrubbed, blowing a lock of fiery hair out of his eyes. Neither am I going to feel sorry for a dwarf who tried to axe me in the back. But a training partner with more strength and reach than me? Now that is of interest. 
you can get the recognition you crave so badly when you knock me on my back fair and square. What do you say? Lonnie's eyes had lit up behind his bloody cloth. Aye, as you say, that is of interest, he replied. Then we have an agreement. Gimli sat up and threw the soaking cloth from the ring, taking another one. Ugh, I smell like a brewery and I haven't had a drop. This work makes a dwarf thirsty. If your nose has dried up, shall we go share a cup at Borin's? I shouldn't, Lonnie said, and his shoulders slumped. I have night duty. Ah, yes, another time then. Go on, get washed up. We'll begin tomorrow, is that to your liking? Lonnie nodded and then attempted a smile. Thank you, Gimli. I'm sorry. Aye, and so you should be, making me spill all this fine ale. Such a waste. Gimli laughed and waved as Lonnie left. Is old Borin's tavern still running then? Keeley wondered, and then quailed at Thorin's suddenly dark look. Feely gave a weak little laugh and hushed Keeley with a hand over his mouth. Just an academic interest, Thorin. Yes, never stepped foot in it ourselves, Keeley said, muffled by Feely's palm. Or broke a table. Or a lamp. Or Borin's teeth. Lies and conjecture. Must have been two other dwarves that looked like us. Yes, and with the same names. Imposters, no doubt. Thorin rolled his eyes to the ceiling and prayed for patience. Gimli kept scrubbing at the whetstones, his shoulders bunching. He stopped at one point to scratch at his short red beard, before attacking the floor once more. Thorin stepped forward, seeing his chance. Gimli, he said, and stopped in cautious surprise as Gimli paused momentarily, his head cocking as though hearing something just out of earshot. Thorin looked back to Feely and Keely, who nodded eagerly. Gimli, he said again, and once more Gimli stopped. This time, however, the lad pushed up onto his knees and frowned. Is someone there? Barfun, Thorin said, and crouched down before the young man. Your cousins are with you, Gimli son of Gloin, Fili, Keely, and Thorin. We are here. Gimli blinked, and then he shook his head sharply. Surely I can't get drunk from a few fumes, he said to himself, and Keely snorted. You're not drunk, lad, Thorin said, and shook his own head in disbelief. We're here. Gimli squinted, peering straight past Thorin. Must be imagining things. I can't be drunk, and I do not think I am mad. Feely smacked his forehead with his palm. Thorin resisted the urge to do the same. Not mad either, cousin. Mahal grants us this, that we can see you from beyond the mists. To me, he gave a greater gift. Some may hear me. I'm of Durin's line, Gimli continued, his brow creasing with worry. I could be mad. I'm too young for it, though. Steady, Feely said quietly, putting a hand on Thorin's shoulder as he shook with anger and shame. You are not mad, he said shortly, only very, very dense. Gimli's eyes narrowed, and he began to look around the room. If this is you, Lonnie, he snarled, then I must say it is in very poor taste. Oh, for Durin's sake, Keely exclaimed. Not a prank either. Thorin pinched the bridge of his nose between his fingers and reigned in his temper. I am Thorin, son of Thrain. I was killed three months ago and passed beyond the borders of Middle-earth. The halls of Mahal keep my sister-sons and I until the world's ending. From this place we may see our friends and kin when we wish, and we are standing right before you, you young fool. Gimli sprang to his feet, the color draining from his face. King Thorin, he breathed, and then he rubbed at his head. Why? Why did I say that? Careful, uncle, Keeley said in a tense undertone. He nodded, and then grasped his nephew's hands before bending all his concentration on the perplexed young boy before them. Gimli, remember the Lady Dees. Remember the woman whom you called aunt, and now sits alone. She lost more than you, kinsman. Remember the Lady Dees. He was her brother, Gimli whispered, and then he pulled at his vibrant hair. Oh, I am such a fool. Of course my conscience would not let me rest until I had seen her. I lost my cousins, but she lost all she had left in the world. 
Not drunk, not mad, not tricked, but surely I am a blind and selfish fool. He... he thinks you're his conscience, said Feely blankly. Thorin looked at him helplessly. Gimli bit down on his lip and then looked at his tunic and ale-stained trousers. Can't be wearing these to visit a princess, he muttered, and, gathering the wet cloths and his axe from the rack, he strode purposefully from the training room. Following him, the three dead dwarves were able to see just how empty Arid Lewin had become. Gimli led them through familiar tunnels and corridors that had once bustled with activity. Now it seemed that Thorin's halls were slowly emptying once more. Only the young and the old seemed to be left. Gimli halted outside a set of apartments that Thorin recognized as Gloin's, and he pushed open the door. Mother, he yelled as he entered. Gimris, where are you? Gimli, hissed a feminine voice, and Gloin's wife Mizim thrust her head through a door. What sort of racket do you call this, storming in here and shouting? That's Gloin's wife? said Keeley, stunned. Aye, Gloin's silver jewel. He told you she was a famous beauty, didn't he? Thorin smiled. Mizum had broken many a heart before finally finding her one in Gloin. Even Thorin had wasted a few sighs over her. Her figure was still strong, sturdy, and proud, and her eyes were still exquisite, though fine lines now traced the corners and white threaded through her pale hair and beard. How'd a boulder-faced shrub like Gloin end up with a dwerodam like that? Feely said, eyes wide. He was kind, honest, and respectful, Thorin said. And he made her laugh. Gimli batted away his mother's hands. Not now, Ahmad. I need my good tunic. I need the gold hair clasps grandfather made me. Where do you keep them? Gimli threw the sodden rags into the fire and began to rummage through carven boxes upon shelves. Gimris, can I borrow your comb? He hollered as he continued to search. A young dwerodam of maybe fifty years stumbled into the room, rubbing at her eyes. Her hair was just as fiery as Gimli's, and her face as lovely as her mother's, even though it was creased in a scowl. Feely immediately fell silent, his jaw dropping open. She's a diamond, Keeley declared fervently. You'd fight a million duels to court that one, Feely agreed. Thorin gritted his teeth. You are both dead. Keeley gave him a wounded look. That was uncalled for. Brother, the last growled, I hope you have your axe on you, because after waking me you are going to need it. Gimris, not now. The comb, please. I need it. I must look my best. You smell like a tavern, Mizim said, with a disdainful sniff. Gimli growled under his breath. I have not had a single drink. I threw Nolly's ale in the face of an idiot hothead. Oh, never mind. I'll find it all myself. All right then, you ill-tempered bear. You can use my comb. What's the big occasion? Gimri said. Gimli made a soft exclamation of satisfaction and brought out a soft blue formal tunic embroidered with gold and black thread. He looked up. I must see the Lady Deese, he said seriously. I have neglected a duty. Mizum's eyebrows drew together. The Lady Deese does not wish to see anyone, and what duty? Well, not a duty then, but a kindness, he said, dragging off his tunic and struggling into the new one. It was slightly too small, but Gimli either did not care or notice. I realize that we are her only family this side of the Misty Mountains, and it falls to us to comfort her. We lost our king and princes, but she has lost her brother and her sons. With all else she has lost, it is no surprise she locks herself away except for the morning audiences. She is utterly alone, and I think I should see her. Feely and Keeley were my friends, and they would want me to. Told you, Feely murmured. Thorin grunted. Mizim looked uncertain, but Gimris's face cleared as understanding dawned. Do you think I should come too? she asked. If you like, Gimli said, shrugging. But perhaps one dwarf at a time? I would not wish for a crowd if I were her. That's very thoughtful, Gimli, Mizim began. But do you suppose she would even wish to see you? She has not spoken to you since you were quite young. I and I called her aunt and she bounced me on her knee, I remember, Gimli said, and splashed water over his face. 
If she does not wish to see me, then I will try again another time. She has been left alone all this time, and so she must feel that she is alone. She should know that we think of her, and that she is still cared for as a dwarf, not just as the regent of Thorin's Hall. I am not her son nor her brother, but I am family, and I care. I loved them too. In the silence that followed, the grip of Feely and Keeley's hands tightened on Thorin's to the point of pain. Well, I'll go next time, Gimri said, and then tutted at her brother's wet and wild mane. You look ridiculous. Sit down and I'll braid it for you. You look like a pony caught in the rain. Gimli's lips quirked, and then he looked up at his mother. I may not be home for dinner, he said. I suppose you must do as you feel you must, Mizum said, and then kissed Gimli's forehead before smoothing the tunic down over his shoulders. You are a good boy, my son. He squirmed away, batting at her with wet hands. Mum, I am sixty-three soon. I am not a boy. She snorted. You are such a boy, Gimli. I'll find your clasps. I hope you still fit your engraved boots. Come on, you haystack, let's make you less hideous, Gimli said, brandishing her comb. Gimli gave her the fed-up look of an older sibling before sitting down before his sister. She began to weave his hair into a long, thick plate that followed his spine. Great Mahal, Gimli, what are you keeping in here? It feels like a nest. I had practice, he said, scowling. You must have been fighting a thorn bush, and those trousers don't suit that tunic either. You won't be able to wear it much longer, you know. Your shoulders are about to come through the seams. Not my fault, Gimli said defensively. I grew too fast. You ate too much, you mean, she said, and he sent an elbow back into her stomach. I had to eat. I was growing. She pulled his hair sharply in retaliation. I'm sure. Wear the black trousers, the ones with the pattern sewn into the hems. Did you want to wear the steel earcuffs? I should. They were a gift from Cousin Balin, he said, and ran a curious hand over the top of his hair. She smacked his hand with the comb. Not till I'm done, she snapped. Keep your mitts off it. Gimris, you are a tyrant, he grumbled. Do you think I will still fit that belt with the garnets? She snickered. Only if you wore it around your fat head. Hold still. Stop wiggling. You're making it all crooked. Feely and Keely were snickering as well, and even Thorin could not help the small sound of amusement that escaped him at the sight of Gimli's thoroughly irritated face. With a loud sigh, Gimli subsided, his thumbs plucking at the ale-stained patches on his trousers. Mizim returned, her hands full, and together mother and daughter threaded a set of golden barrel clasps into Gimli's bright hair. Then, Gimli struggled into a new pair of black trousers, also slightly too small, and took out his plain and serviceable ear cuffs and replaced them with a set which Thorin recognized as Balin's familiar work. A pair of warm fur-covered boots with engraved toe guards followed, and the belt was found and promptly rejected. Will I serve? Gimli asked, holding out his arms. Mizim smiled at him and threaded two gold beads onto the short tufting braids of his beard. You look very handsome, she told him. For a troll, Gimris added cheerfully. Gimris, Mizim snapped. Her daughter rolled her eyes. Fine, sorry. You look nice, big brother. Then she punched him lightly in the arm. It seems you're not a complete waste of space. You're doing a good thing. I get to wear the gold clasps next time, all right? Only if I get to braid your hair, Gimli said, a wicked glint in his eye. Mizim gave the long-suffering sigh of all parents. Get moving before you grow out of your clothes altogether, she said. I'll leave bread and cheese out for you in case you come home late and haven't eaten, all right? Bread and cheese, Gimli said plaintively, and then straightened at Gimri's amused look. I mean, thank you, Mum. Thank you both. With that, he was moving, striding purposefully from the family's apartment and making his way through the city to the lowest levels. He did not falter. Where are we? Thorin hissed, following closely behind. I do not recognize this part of the halls. Don't tell me you're lost, said Keeley. Feely hid a smile behind his hand. The iron mines begin just to our left, and the audience chambers are coming up ahead. Our old rooms are not far, but these passages weren't really used except by the miners. Gimli must have done some work here. Mining? Thorin frowned. His father is a lord. He does not need to mine for a living. 
Thorin, everyone worked, even you. You took on blacksmithing, I was a jeweler like Mum, and Keeley was a bower. No doubt Oin took Gimli into the mines. I know he still treats miners now and then for their injuries. Thorin abruptly recalled that Oin had originally damaged his hearing in a mine explosion. Ah, but a miner? He does not seem to have the patience for iron excavation and refinement. He wanted to be a surveyor or stonemason when we were little, Keeley said. He likes caves and rocks. He would be in raptures over the Chamber of Sansukul, Feely agreed. Hmm, that was unusual. He does not have a craft, then. Time enough to choose a calling when I am old and can no longer swing an axe, Gimli murmured, startling them all. There is so much to learn about the world. Why would I limit myself before I have found that which makes me happiest? Shh, Keely hissed. Durin's beard, he senses you so clearly, Feely said, and he ran a hand through his hair. I never would have believed it if I hadn't seen it. The corridors became familiar again, and a fluttering sense of apprehension began to claw at Thorin's belly. Gimli stopped at a painfully well-worn door and pulled the new tunic straight, before taking a deep breath. Here we go, he said to himself, and knocked. It opened, and a dwarf with the crossed axes of a guard upon his back peered out at Gimli. Yes, he grunted. Gimli, son of Gloin, Gimli said with a polite bow. I am here to see the Lady Dees, if she will. The Lady sees no one, the dwarf said shortly, and began to close the door. It stopped on Gimli's heavy engraved boot, and the younger dwarf gave the guard a pleasant smile. Announce me, he suggested. Perhaps she will make an exception. Are you deaf, boy? The lady sees no one, the guard said with impatience, and kicked Gimli's foot away. Perhaps I should make myself clearer, Gimli said, still smiling. Gimli of the line of Durin, here to see his cousin if she will. The guard's sneer dropped like a stone. I'll announce you. You do that. All right, Thorin said. Now I believe the boy is related to me. Keeley's laugh was a little high and a little shrill. Gimli waited, his fingers fidgeting over the embroidery at the edge of the too small tunic. Wisps of his short, thick beard were already beginning to escape the gold beads, and he chewed on his lower lip absently. The guard returned with a perplexed look on his face, and he eyed Gimli with suspicion. She'll see you, he said, but don't expect her to be pleasant. I don't expect her to be anything other than she is, said Gimli, with admirable calmness. What's your name? The dwarf raised an eyebrow. Anchor, son of Borcher. Thank you, Anchor. The guard's other eyebrow rose. You're welcome, boy. Kind when he wishes to be, Thorin murmured, remembering Freren's words. Aye, and forgiving. Anchor led Gimli to a room beside the audience chamber, and opened the door. Gimli, son of Groin, lady, he said respectfully, and nodded to the lad to enter. Actually, it's Gloin, mumbled Gimli. Groin was my grandfather. I know who you are, child, came a voice. Come in. To the three children of Thrain, they had said, Mahal gave one a voice of golden thunder, one a voice of silver bells, but the third, the third had a voice of mithril and diamonds, more lovely than the voices of the elves, and as pure as the snowmelt from the peak of the mountain. Deesa's beautiful voice was dead. She sounded lifeless and hollow, her voice a dull echo of what it had once been. Gimli entered with a glance to the guard, and Anchor nodded to him once before closing the door. Dees was seated before a fire, her eyes fixed on the flames. She did not look up as the door clicked closed behind the guard. There was an uncomfortable silence, and Gimli walked further into the room, his dark eyes wide. Hello, Aunt Dees, he said eventually. It has been a long time since you called me that, son of Gloin, rasped Dees. True, Gimli said. I won't fit on your knee anymore. She smiled, but there was no warmth in it. Indeed, you are no longer a child. Why are you here? Gimli blinked, and then he looked down at his hands. You're not my aunt, he said slowly. You're my cousin, and we... we lost some of our family. There's just me and Gimris and you, because everyone else... is dead, Dees croaked, 
and finally looked up from the fire. Everyone is dead. My whole family, but for cousins like you. My sons, my last brother, my one, my father. We were so proud, so strong. Well, Mahal has punished us for our pride, at least. No, Gimli blurted, and he took another couple of quick steps towards her. Not everyone is dead. You, Deese laughed. It was utterly unbearable to hear. Your sister, Balin, Dwalin, your father and uncle, you are not my family. We are relatives, no more than that. No, my family is dead and gone. The line of Thror is ended. They're not all dead, Gimli repeated, and he lifted his eyes to hers. There's you. She froze and then sagged. Me. And that's why I'm here, Gimli said, and took one more step. Because there's you. You're not my mother or father or uncle or sister. We're not close, but you're my family, and I once called you aunt. I would call you aunt again if you would let me. Feely took a sharp, short breath. Careful, cousin, he breathed. Is this pity? Deese stood, and her hair tumbled down around her shoulders. She looked like a wild woman, her dark eyes red and hard. Pity for an old woman left alone, you can keep it. Not pity, Gimli said, defiantly standing his ground. I would not dare pity you, lady. Then what? He hesitated, and then blurted, I don't know. It is hard to put into words. The others, in my training classes, they do not even speak of them. But they were my friends, my cousins, and I miss them. I wish I had gone with them. I wish my father had let me. I'm just a remote cousin, not a prince, not a warrior. I'm not important. But I have some skill. I could have done something. They should have lived. They should have lived to see their home restored. Deese stared at him for a long moment, her face draining of all color as she took in his red cheeks and raised chin, his bald fists, and the angry tremor of his voice. Then she staggered backwards and collapsed back into her chair. Mother! Keely cried and turned to Thorin. Help her! Wait, Feely said harshly. Wait. Gimli acted immediately. He rushed forward and poured a cup of water from the jug on a side table and knelt before her, holding it up. Lady Deese, he said, his voice more gentle than Thorin could have ever imagined coming from the mouth of this brash young dwarf. I am sorry, here. She took the cup with trembling fingers. You mourn them, she said faintly. You mourn them, not your princes, your friends. I, Gimli said, and lowered his eyes my cousins, and, despite what you say, my family. Keely pulled your hair, she whispered. Feely hid your toys. And I kicked his shins for it, too, Gimli said, and smiled at his feet. I miss them. Feely hid my toys, but he showed me his new swords when he had finished his training, and he taught me how to use the throwing axe, and how to spot the flaws in a gem, and all the different ways to knot rope. Keely pulled my hair, but he also gave me his old drafting tools when he had finished with them, and showed me how to play the fiddle and how to carve and string a bow. They were the ones who first took me drinking, and it was Feely who guided my steps, and Keely who held my hair back when I became sick. They looked after me. I was only their loud young cousins scurrying at their heels, but they looked after me. I looked up to them. They were fond of you, she said thickly. Gimli lifted his head and their eyes met. Two pairs of dark eyes. The eyes of Thrain. The dark eyes passed down from Nain II, last king of Khazad-dûm. Keeley's eyes. Your brother made me my very first axe for my fiftieth naming day, Gimli remembered, and Deese huffed. Plain as plain, no doubt. Not a single decoration on haft or blade, Gimli agreed, but perfectly balanced. Thank you, Thorin managed, through a throat blocked with his heart. He never had much patience, she said, her eyes growing distant. He could wait a century for a sign, but hated spending the time to put more than three braids in his hair. Gimli snorted. Oh, Keeley's hair. To Thorin's amazement, she laughed, 
rusty and unused, but a true laugh. Keeley's damned hair. I used to struggle with him every morning to at least get most of it out of his eyes. Mahal only knows how he ever aimed at a target through that curtain. I feel I should be offended. Feely gave him a sad half-grin. The truth offends no one but you, brother. Don't look at me, Thorin added. I remember the fits you had when your mother brought out a comb. I miss them, Gimli said again, and sighed heavily. No one understands why I am so angry, or why I train every day until I am exhausted. I struck another in the nose today, and I should know better, even if he does not. I have not been to the mines in weeks. I sat at the table in Borin's where Keeley and Feely used to drink with me. The jokes are still carved into the wood, and Borin's teeth are still missing. I felt as though I could reach out and touch them, so close was that presence. But they are gone, and I am here, and it should not be this way. He felt a presence, Keeley said, and blinked. Did you go to Borin's with Gimli? Feely hissed and Thorin plustered a look of innocence on his face. Apparently, it wasn't terribly convincing, because Feely snorted. You old hypocrite. I forgot that there were others who knew us, Dees said wonderingly, her fingers clutching her cup. Not as heirs of Durin's line, but as Feely and Keely, sons of Vili and Dees. Feely and Keely, my cousins and friends, Gimli said in a low voice. I should have been there. I would not have used your life to buy theirs, she said, and her other hand reached out and touched Gimli's thick red hair. Don't be so hasty to throw it away, Nidoyeth. He smiled ruefully. I'm not, not really, but what is a miner, a banker's son, compared to a prince? What is my life compared to what theirs has bought? A miner, a banker's son, she said, can have a good heart. A miner and banker's son will go on to do great things, Gimli, son of Gloin. She set down the cup of water and took Gimli's hands. I would like it if you called me aunt again, she said softly. Gimli said nothing, but his hands tightened on hers. She leaned forward until her brow briefly rested on his, and then she pulled back. Will you tell me more? Gladly. Gimli settled at her feet and launched into a tale of three dwarflings and a hammer borrowed from Dwalin. Dees listened closely and laughed at the terrible predicament the three found themselves in, at the clever plots put into practice that only compounded the problem tenfold, at Dwalin's outrage when the hammer was finally recovered and the terrible injustice of the punishment, polishing every weapon he owned until it gleamed. Her eyes were glossy, but she no longer wept. Her hand remained on Gimli's vibrant hair, and every now and then she stroked it absently. Finally, Gimli finished and looked up at her. Aunt Dees. Mm hmm? Gimli said she would come with me next time. Would you like that? She blinked as though coming awake, and then smiled. It was still tinged with her fathomless sorrow, but she no longer looked or sounded more dead than alive. That would be lovely. How old is your sister now? Fifty-four, Gimli said with a shudder. Ah, the fifties. I feel for your poor mother, with two dueros under the age of seventy in her home. I am very mature, Gimli protested, and Dees laughed softly. Indeed you are. Bring Gimris, and I will tell you of the time my brothers and I stole Dwalin's favorite toy oliphant. Gimli choked on his breath, and then laughed loudly and merrily. Aye, that sounds like a tale not to be missed. She stood, bringing him to his feet, and then touched the seams that strained over his shoulders. You have grown out of this tunic. Perhaps Feely's... She stopped short on her son's name and then closed her eyes, her lips tightening. Give him mine, Dees, Thorin said suddenly. Keep your children's fine things and the memories they hold. He'll be as broad as me. Give him my feast day tunic. I never wore the thing anyway. She frowned. Both Feely and Keely turned to Thorin, their eyebrows high and their mouths open in surprise. Aunt Dees, Gimli ventured. My apologies, Akunith, she said, opening her eyes and squeezing her shoulder. I was lost in thought. My brother's things still gather dust and moths, and you will be of a size across the shoulders in a few years. You should have them. No, he protested. I could not wear the clothes of a king, it would be. 
But you could wear the clothes of a cousin, she said, and squeezed his shoulder again. I will have them sent to you. No, don't refuse. He would be glad to be rid of them. Thorin hated formality. Too many painful memories. He'd much rather wear his armor and spit in the eye of public opinion. Gimli closed his mouth. If you say so, he said dubiously, then I will take them with thanks. My mother is tearing her hair out trying to keep me decent lately. She tugged a braid at his chin, just as she used to do to Feely's mustache. I know the feeling. Keely used to grow out of a tunic as I watched. It nearly drove me to drink. Gimli winced, and Feely rubbed at his mouth. I know that feeling, he said in sympathy. Ouch. I should go, Gimli said reluctantly. It's late. He made to bow, but she stopped him by pulling him into an embrace. Until next time, Gimli. He stiffened for a moment in shock, before hugging her tightly. Soon. The day after tomorrow. I have practice in the afternoon, but... I look forward to it, she said, and drew back to lightly touch his Durin brow. Go, your mother will be worried. He nodded and made to leave. Dees stopped him at the door by calling his name. I, he said, turning back around. Thank you, she said quietly. Your use name fits you well. He gawked, forgetting himself for yet another moment, before he grinned broadly at her and left. Thorin watched his sister sink back down into her chair. She rubbed her face with her hands and sat motionless for a few moments. Feely and Keely pressed closely to his sides as they stood, not three feet away from her, and yet as unreachable as Arendil's star. She let out a long, shuddering breath, and then she gripped her knees tightly with her hands. Well, brother mine, she said to herself, let's see what you have stored away then. End of chapter three. Drank from yet untasted wells. He stooped and looked in mirror, mirror and saw a crown of stars appear as gems upon a silver thread above the shadow.